Well, we are in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, delving into what it means to belong to God, what it means to be saved, what it means to be in the kingdom of God. So what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount, and especially here in the beginning as he's laying this foundation, is he's showing us the character of those who are in the kingdom of God. So if you will notice, Jesus is putting the emphasis on the inside, on the inside. And the Jews of that day put all the emphasis on the outside. Um, the Jewish religion of that day, the scribes and Pharisees, was a shallow, superficial, external religious religion that was self-promoted. And so um, they thought that God was pleased with that. They thought that God was pleased with the outside. And so they loved their self-righteousness. They loved their formalized religion. They were, they were just so self-focused. Well, Jesus comes along now and puts all the emphasis on the inside. Uh, not just action, but attitude. Not just conduct, but character. And righteous character produces righteous conduct, okay? If you have righteous character, righteousness is just going to come out in your conduct. Um, righteous character produces righteous action. It's just going to happen. And so that's what Jesus is talking about. It's what's going to happen to the character of the people in the kingdom that is going to govern and going to change our conduct. So to be a Christian is to possess a certain kind of character that we see, first of all, in these Beatitudes. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones said, we are not meant to control our Christianity, but rather our Christianity is meant to control us. And so instead of us trying so hard, then what he's calling us to is to focus on a love relationship with him, at which point the character will just start flowing out. It will start coming out. These things will start happening that he's describing here in the Beatitudes. So it starts on the inside and it works its way out. So Jesus is dealing with matters of the heart. Um, we have seen him specify, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, or they shall be filled. And so these are inner principles that characterize and operate in the lives of those who are members of the kingdom, of those who belong in the kingdom of God. So today... We're in on number five, and we're going to see that people who belong to God's kingdom are merciful. Merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, let me just say up front that it doesn't mean that I'm going to take that outside position and run out and start showing mercy to people so that he will show mercy to me. That's not what it's about. Uh, that's not the perspective here at all. And this is not just having bad feelings for somebody who is having a hard time. It's not having feelings of sympathy and compassion. This is more about empathy. 
The difference in empathy is that you put yourself in that person's position and you have sympathetic or compassionate feelings because you understand where they are. Um, you put yourself in that person's place, you understand their thoughts, you understand their feelings, and your heart hurts with them and for them because you relate. You've been there and done that. So being merciful results from everything that he's already said in the first four Beatitudes. So always remember the sequence here. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, that I'm a sinner. Blessed are they that mourn. I mourn over my sin. Blessed are the meek. I'm going to submit to the control of God. It's kind of like brokenness, breaking a, breaking a horse. I'm going to have the same power, the same um, personality traits, the same gifts, but I'm going to submit them to the Lord. They're going to be in those boundaries. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then when I get to that place, then I'm going to start being merciful because I understand. I understand the need for forgiveness. I understand the mourning over sin. And so being merciful rests on those first four. Uh, the word mercy is a rich word. Um, the Hebrew word for mercy in the Old Testament is a beautiful word. Uh, I've run across that word a lot through the years. I've always thought I would just do a study sometime just on that word because it's so incredible. It is the word hesed, but you spell it C-H-E-S-E-D. C-H-E-S-E-D, hesed. And scholars say it's untranslatable. Now, if you read the Old Testament, most often the translation of the word hesed is loving kindness. Loving kindness. And that's the word really for mercy uh, in the New Testament. It's a covenant word. We've talked about the blood covenant a lot, and it's a covenant word. It's the relationship that God has toward us and we have toward others in him. Loving kindness, loving kindness. But here's what I want you to get this morning. The word is linked to forgiveness. Mercy and forgiveness are inseparable. They are partners. And so you remember that we've just done a study on forgiveness, and mercy is behind forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is a fruit of being merciful. When you have a merciful heart, forgiveness is what's going to happen in your action. Mercy is merciful is the character. Forgiveness is going to be the action. And so it is an attribute, attribute of God that leads to forgiveness. I want you to look with me, if you will, at Ephesians chapter 2 for just a minute. Ephesians chapter 2. Hey, Faye, come in. Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 1, but verse 4 is the key, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, Paul says to the Ephesians, were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in sons of disobedience. That would be the spirit of Satan. <clears throat> Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. 
first word in verse 4 is what? But. Okay? But what? But God. Now watch the sequence. Being rich in mercy because of his great what? Love. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in all the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what I want you to see back there in verse 4 is the flow. Love flows into mercy and mercy flows into forgiveness. Okay? So because of the love of God, he has shown us mercy, and through his mercy, he has forgiven us. So that's the way it's going to be for us too, right? We're going to love, and when we love, we're going to be merciful, and you can't have mercy without having forgiveness because they are inseparable Siamese twins kind of. So those who are poor in spirit... Those who understand, those of us who understand, we cannot save ourselves. We have nothing to offer to God. Those of us who are pouring spirit acknowledge our need for mercy. We know that we needed God's mercy to be saved. And we're willing then to show mercy to others, which was the foundation of our study on forgiveness, right? Because we have been forgiven, what are we going to do? We're the conduit for God's forgiveness to other people. If Jesus has died for all sin... Who am I to hold back and say, mm -mm, I'm not forgiven that one. So it's a part of character. It's a part of being in the kingdom. Now, some people say that the New Testament word for mercy means actively compassionate pity. I have to stop and think about that. It kind of works. Actively compassionate pity. And why do we pity? Because we've been there and we know. We've been there when we've needed mercy and we know it. We recognize it. And so we hurt for, our heart hurt for other people who are trapped in that sin, and we know they need it. So we mourn over their sin because we know what it is to mourn over our sin. So see, in all these places, we've gone first. And so we are actively, compassionately of pity. So I want to take you back just a moment to some studies we've done in the past on the Old Testament tabernacle. Um, I probably did, for me, the first study on the Old Testament tabernacle probably 40 years ago, okay? Maybe longer than that. Um, a lady that um, I knew well that um, taught me a lot um, when I was working with the lay witness team, James Pollard lay witness team. She said to me one day, she said, Sharon, have you ever done a study of the Old Testament tabernacle? I thought, well, no. 
And she said, you need to do that. That is the best picture of God's plan of salvation and how to get to heaven. I said, okay. So I was curious. And so I started digging in. And I just started researching what anybody I could find had to say about the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Now, we've studied this more than once. But let me set your minds. The tabernacle was what God told Moses to build when they were going through the wilderness. And it would represent God's presence among his people. And there were really three sections to the tabernacle. There was the outer court, and there was one door. Why do you reckon there was one door? Because when you get to the end of it, you're going to see it's a picture of Jesus, right? So there's one door, and you would go in that one door, and the first place you would come to was the brazen altar. And that's where people took sacrificial animals every day and they would sacrifice the animal to atone for their sins. And that's as far as normal people would go. The priest actually would do the work. So then just beyond that was, looked like a bird bath, a laver. And what would happen then is that the, that the priest would have to go in every day into the holy of holies, I mean into the holy place, which is the next section but he'd have to stop and wash his hands and his feet to prevent the defilement that he might get in between the place of sacrifice and getting here then to the door of the holy place. Now this big area is enclosed and the first part of it is called the holy place. And in there is um, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the golden lampstand. And he would do ministry. He would minister before God every day into there. But then on the other side of that is this big, thick veil. And this veil separated all of the other from the Holy of Holies. And this is what God said. He said, I'm going to dwell with you there. And only the high priest could go in once a year. And he would go in with the blood of the sacrificial animal. And he would pour it out. Now what's in there? What's in there is called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. And um, the Ark of the Covenant was made of acacia wood and covered with gold. It's like a chest. Just like a fairly good sized chest. And the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat. Now, inside the Ark of the Covenant was a, a golden pot that had some manna in it, kind of like a time capsule in some ways. Okay, had some manna in it. And then Aaron's rod that budded, and then stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments. Now... Mankind was condemned because of what? Because he had broken the law. God's law was broken. So there's the law in the Ark of the Covenant. But separating the condemnation of the law in the Ark of the Covenant from God's presence was the mercy seat. It was solid gold, made of pure gold. And so... God had broken the law, but because of his love, 
God made provision for a mercy seat. And so what God said was there were cherubim on each side. It's an incredible thing to see. They, and they had to be beaten out. They couldn't be molded. They beat out cherubim. And so here's the cherubim on each side of the mercy seat. And God said, I'm going to meet with you right there. So coming up from there was the Shekinah glory that was fire by night and that was clouds by day to represent the presence of God, to show the presence of God among his people. And so he said, I'm going to meet with you at the mercy seat. He said, that's going to be the place where I'm going to communicate with you. So on the day of atonement, one day a year, the high priest would go in and pour the blood of the sacrificial animal on the mercy seat. So here is God, and between God and the condemnation of the law is mercy and sacrificial blood. Okay? So all of that was a foreshadowing of what? Of the cross, of Calvary. It's a blueprint. And so you can see the plan of salvation in it. Did you see it? I'm going to come in. There's one door. When you were a child, did you learn in Sunday school, one door and only one, and yet its sides are two? Jesus said what? I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. So here's the door. Through Jesus we go in and we stop at the sacrifice. And now Jesus is the sacrifice that's been made for us at the brazen altar. And so remember the story of when... Um, Jesus was going to wash Peter's feet, and he, Peter said, uh-uh, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, what? If I don't, you don't have part with me. So here's the laver. I'm going to stop. I'm going to keep my hands and feet washed. The sacrifice has been made, but I'm going to keep my hands and feet washed because that keeps me daily cleansed, daily in fellowship. I participate. I confess my sins. I'm cleansed of them. And so then when Jesus died, he, what happened to the veil? Split from the top down. To reveal the presence of God to everybody who has come through the door by the sacrifice of Jesus. And there we find what? Mercy. That's where we find mercy. So mercy has its origin in God. Mercy meets the need of forgiveness. Because of God's love and his mercy, he forgives us. So mercy and forgiveness cannot be separated. So when he comes here and he says, blessed are the merciful, then what he's saying is mercy is going to characterize your life. You're going to be quick to show mercy. To those around you because of God's love and because of your experience with his forgiveness. So to be merciful really is to have a desire to relieve sin suffering. Think about that. A desire to relieve sin suffering. Have you ever opened your eyes and looked at what it is to suffer because of sin? Lots of sin carries suffering. It carries enslavement. 
Um, my mind and heart have been so gripped because I've dealing, been dealing in conversations with some people here lately about sex trafficking, uh, sex exploitation, sexual slavery that's going on. And um, I think, oh my goodness. You know, to see some of this, to see the outcome of the sin, to see the evil that would take somebody and hold them in that crib. I'm going to uh, tell you this. Redeeming Love is a novel that was written by Francine Rivers, I think, back in the late 90s. Got to hurry written in the late 90s, and it's one of, I don't read a lot of novels, not because, I just don't have time, okay? But I read that, and it, it may well be my favorite novel of all, of all time. And um, the novel is based on the book of Hosea. You remember in the book of Hosea, God went to Hosea and told him to marry a prostitute. And Hosea represents God, and the prostitute represents Israel. And all of the unfaithfulness, the adultery, the running away that Israel has done, had done to God. And even today, I think we can translate it into believers who are not faithful to God. And so to God, that's adultery. And it breaks God's heart. Well, this novel was a wonderful picture of that, but at the same time, it was a really, really good story. Well, it's now a movie. And Gloria and I went to see it last night. It's on in Carrollton yesterday afternoon. It's on in Carrollton. I'm intrigued that it has not been advertised a lot. But I saw it this way. I saw it differently this way so much because uh, the, the movie, of course, is a lot more visual than stuff was in the book. Um, but the life of these girls who were prostitutes in these harems and these brothels and how they were treated and my mind is going back to my conversations here lately on sex trafficking and how all of that's going on today. But I guess my heart was awakened in a new way to the slavery of it, the evil of it, the killing people, the burning down houses, the stuff. Because of the desires that Satan has put in us that are not godly desires and greed for money. So when we look at a world, when we see people, our first thought needs to be they need God's mercy. How can I show them God's mercy? How can I show that loving kindness? How can I hold my hand out to them? So there's this merciful desire to relieve sin, suffering. And that's what that is. They're trapped. They're suffering because of sin. Well, if I'm not merciful, it means that I have never understood the grace and mercy of God. I just never got it. Once I get it, when I'm poor in spirit and when I'm mourn over sin and when I am meek and when I hunger and thirst after righteousness, and I get it, then I'm going to see the need that other people who are trapped in that sin have for that mercy and forgiveness. So that mercy is going to be a part of the character of a believer. People who are merciful have realized their spiritual bankruptcy, mourned over their sins, submitted to God, hunger and thirst for righteousness that only God can give. And so what does he say? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive 
mercy. Now, does that mean that I've not already received God's mercy? No. So don't misinterpret that verse. Mercy is not just about forgiveness. And you might want to jot these verses down. We haven't got time to go to them. But Psalm 119, verse 64 says, The earth is full of thy mercies. Let me say that again. Psalm 119, verse 64. 2 Samuel, verse 24, verse 14. For his mercies, plural, are great. Psalm 69, verse 13. The multitude of thy mercies, the psalmist says. So forgiveness is one expression of God's mercy, but it's not the only one. Psalm 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22, The Lord's mercies never cease, for his compassions never fail. You know the famous verse, They are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. And so, you know what? When the sun came up this morning, that was God's mercy. When you were able to get out of the bed and get ready and come, and you had a way to get here, and you had a coat to put on, those are mercies. So everything around us is mercy, is, are the mercies of God. They are new every morning. So all of the gifts that God gives us are expressions of his mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful because we're going to be in a position of seeing more and more and more of the mercies of God poured out on us. Do you understand that? It's not that I'm trying to earn God's mercy for salvation. Don't. It's that God is merciful in so many ways and he's given us mercy by which we have been forgiven and therefore saved once we know we are Poor in spirit, mourning over sin, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And when those things are real to us, we're going to be more merciful people. It's a rich word. The next beatitude, and I saved it. I just wanted to do mercy today because next week I just want to do blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart is the pinnacle or the centerpiece of the Beatitudes. It's the main jewel. And you work your way into being pure in heart by blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And I say those over and over again because I hope you're memorizing them. Okay? But the next one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now that's not talking about when you die, although you will. It's talking about walking a life where we're experiencing him every day in such a way that we can see him. And what we do and what's around us and what's in our lives and what's in the lives of other people and what he's doing in the world, what is his activity, what is he calling us to. And so we will tackle that one next
week. Do you have any questions? 2 Samuel 24:14. For his mercies are great. Yes, Angie. tabernacle this is a tabernacle it was made out of canvas and whenever the children of Israel would move going through the wilderness they pick it up and take it with them okay so it didn't become the temple in Jerusalem once the temple was built was built on that pattern but this original one was that they would pick it up and take it with them everywhere they went and so God tabernacled among them but now he tabernacles among us what uh, John um, in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God the word became flesh and tabernacled among us is the literal translation I believe of it. they were there yes they were there and they stood there and all those people wandering around in the wilderness could see every day that Shekinah glory coming out at night and the cloud coming out by day and when it moved they moved and then they got to the land of Canaan that God said he was going to give them give to them and they said what oh, we can't go in there they got monsters mm -mm. fascinating Fascinating. You can read about it, Exodus 25, I believe, and the chapters following. God gave very specific instructions about what they were built, what size it would be, how they were to build it, the materials they would use. He even had seamstresses, sewers to embroider the veil uh, in such a way that it had cherubim on it. Fascinating to read about it. Think, where you get your yarn and your needle, you know? How'd they do that? I don't know. But it truly is an incredible blueprint of what happens in the New Testament. Maybe we'll do that study again sometime. It always helps me to go back and do something again, even though I think we need to keep on going and do something we haven't covered yet. Anything else? Well, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. I am so glad to see you today. And I hope you'll be back next Sunday and all of the other people will be back with us. Our attendance has been off a little bit for the past two or three weeks, all kind of stuff going on. But we're ready for everybody to be back. I love you, pray for you, and you call me if you need me. God bless.